So this past week, we had a lot of family in town, and maybe you did too, maybe you didn't. I'm going to do this. And my brother-in-law and I decided that we needed to introduce our sons, the older ones, to the number one best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. <laughs> now, I know some of you are thinking, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. What about White Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or A Christmas Story or The Santa Claus or Home Alone or Miracle on 34th Street or Charlie Brown Christmas or It's a Wonderful Life? Well, friends, I am here to tell you that Charlie Brown and George Bailey have got nothing on John McClane. Not only that, but one of the scenes in Die Hard perfectly matches with today's lectionary text, which has me so excited, I have been saying yippee all weekend. In Die Hard, there is a scene depicting the news coverage of the events that are unfolding as the bad guys are taking over a skyscraper and holding hostages. And in a very brief montage, the news anchor is interviewing this talking head commentator who mentions that the kidnappers and the hostages under these kinds of circumstances might experience so much stress in their ordeal that both parties end up experiencing what psychologists and sociologists refer to as trauma bonding. That's in Die Hard. You didn't know that, did you? It's a very brief three or four second little clip. The National Domestic Violence Hotline states that trauma bonding is when we experience trauma, uh, we have a tendency to make sense of our experiences. And so we work really hard to rationalize the dissonance between our abusive partner's caring and harmful actions that that abuser takes on us. And this rationalization strengthens the bond between the abused and the abuser. It's called trauma bonding. And the entire book of Ezekiel is the prophet's attempt at an explanation for the suffering of Israel. The Babylonian Empire set siege to Jerusalem and conquered the city, which led to political collapse, and also to all of the residents in Jerusalem being deported and scattered in an event that historians called the Diaspora, or Diaspora. Ezekiel is arguably the most negative book in all of Scripture. What joy! Part of the reason for that is that the prophet, or the author, or authors, because there were probably more than one, like a lot of books of the Bible, the book takes the view that Israel's suffering is not only Israel's fault, but that Yahweh is the one that caused it. But even though God causes the suffering and trauma of an entire nation because it's all their fault, there are passages where God is depicted as a loving and caring provider who wants the people to behave correctly so that God never has to act like that again. Yikes. 
Never mind that the suffering was due to the expansion of a powerful and ruthless ancient empire. Never mind that Israel as a people, including its leaders, were caught up in geopolitical realities that were beyond any of their control. Ezekiel's plain message is that Israel is suffering and has experienced trauma because Israel has sinned against God. And it made God angry. And when God is angry, God does angry things. Now, if I'm honest, and maybe if you're honest, that sounds pretty terrible. Who would follow a God like this? And so if we read the book of Ezekiel at face value, we may walk away with a feeling about the Bible and a feeling about God that's really icky, revolting even. But I want to invite us to stay curious for just a few minutes. See, it's one thing to experience individual trauma. It's something perhaps entirely different to experience collective trauma. Entire societies and cultures experience collective trauma when an event or a series of events affects the group as a whole in a traumatic way. Collective trauma. And in his book, Trauma, A Social Theory, Jeffrey Alexander draws attention to the symbolic difference of trauma in a cultural construct, in a collective identity. And he talks about how when a group of people, and a group may be a family or it may be an entire ethnic group, experience trauma, people begin to, and the group in this case, begins to rationalize the reason for the trauma so that as a group, they still have some sense of identity and some sense of cohesion. And so the longer a group rationalizes trauma, and in some cases, a group may rationalize trauma over and over and over again across decades or centuries or millennia, the entire identity of that group becomes wrapped up in the rationalization of the trauma. And Ezekiel, as a book, is an attempt to rationalize the trauma of Babylonian conquest. So just knowing that means I don't have to agree with the rationalization 3,000 years later. I understand why it happened. We see modern examples of this kind of collective trauma bonding in stories told by generations of people who lived through trauma. World War II, Vietnam. Those who are old enough, many in this room, to remember 9-11. Collective trauma. And when people experience it together, there's some kind of a bond that forms and there's rationalization that takes place for let's go to war because, right? And it's only years or decades or maybe millennia after all of that that we can separate ourselves enough from the rationalization that happened in the midst of the trauma to say maybe we weren't so rational after all. And there are those in this room and in the room over there that will one day have childhood memories of active shooter drills. And there might be some collective trauma attached to things like that. C.L. Crouch writes 
of Ezekiel in the Journal of Open Theology that many other kingdoms were defeated and their peoples deported by the Babylonian Empire. This was a common thing in ancient empires. But no other populations of which we are aware reckoned with these experiences in a way that enabled their ongoing existence as a distinctive cultural entity. Ezekiel was so influential in the life of Israel that the rationalization of the trauma caused by the diaspora kept their ethnic identity intact. And no other group that had that done to them by the Babylonian Empire can historians even identify. Because their culture was just ripped apart permanently. In a verse 15 and 16 of today's scripture reading, the Lord is depicted as stating... I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down. It kind of sounds like Psalm 23. I wonder if David, who Ezekiel referenced, you know, the Davidic Empire was before this, so Ezekiel was probably thinking back to the psalm, perhaps. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them with justice. On the face value, it may seem like this entire book is one big example of people's trauma bonding with an abusive deity. And in many ways it is exactly that. But if we stop right there, and a lot of people do, then the Bible is just an ancient book filled with terrible theology, and it would be no wonder for some people to be dismayed and even repulsed by it. And some of us have probably lived through wrestling through that line of thinking at one point or another in our own lives, which is maybe why some of us are a part of a church like Peace and not another kind of church. But if we stay curious we might begin to have some sympathy for Ezekiel, for Israel's embrace of this text as a kind of cultural master narrative. We might realize it's completely normal for people, including entire ethnic groups, to rationalize things as a survival mechanism when experiencing mass trauma. It's already been referenced in our service today more than once. One of the biggest active traumas in the world at present is the conflict in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. Both the Israelis and the Palestinians collectively remember past conflicts. Each group has its own past traumas, and cultural narratives have developed that give each group an incredibly strong sense of identity, which is connected to geopolitical and religious understandings of past and present trauma. Collective trauma. And so we may not agree with the rationalization that one or either side might have of that trauma and what they should do about it, but perhaps we can gain empathy and even have a more nuanced kind of grief at recognizing that some of the patterns at play in our world right now are as old as humanity itself. Often staying curious 
leads to reading the Bible with fresh insight. At least it has in my life. And it helps me sometimes if I stay curious to see maybe the Bible's a little more relevant than I thought it was for some of the present things happening in our world. Staying curious, however, can often prove and has proven for many of us to be a difficult thing in religious communities, especially. Ask the wrong questions and People get ostracized from traditional religious groups and cultural power structures. And this shunning is what sociologists call the creation of in-groups and out-groups. Are you in or are you out? And it often leaves those of us who are seeking a deeper understanding, feeling shunned and othered in their own religious communities and faith traditions of origin. Y'all have all heard the saying, curiosity killed the... Yeah, it also killed the faith of somebody that asked the wrong question in a Sunday school class somewhere. This morning, perhaps. And so staying curious, you see, leads to asking questions about why oppression exists, but also who benefits from unjust systems? Why cultures embrace certain narratives about their collective past and present identities. And it may lead to asking, did God really say that? Or do that? Many may feel like religious insiders and bullies push them away from faith because they become curious and start asking the wrong questions. And in today's passage, God is going out, it says over and over, to find the lost sheep of Israel or those who have been traumatized by the violence of empire. Anybody grow up in a church where the pastor used the word lost all the time? we got to go and save the lost. So that word may be triggering for some of us, lost. But the lost that God pursues are not lost because of a, quote, sinful lifestyle. They're lost, particularly in this passage, because they are displaced victims of cultural greed and conquest. Back to the greatest Christmas movie of all time. John McClane. Throughout all of the Die Hard movies, often gets into really deep trouble. It's a good church word. Precisely because he is more curious and less apathetic than all of the other cops in the movie. Sometimes curiosity does lead to us being in troublesome situations. But even though staying curious is not without risk, I think that it's worth it in the end. It has been for me. It's not without risk, though. Some of us in this room, perhaps, have been cut off from family cut off from a church that we grew up in or from professional networks because we ask the wrong kinds of questions. But I believe with all my heart that God's rich blessing 
And here's where this passage in Ezekiel is inspired for me. That God's rich blessing and healing ultimately come to those who are cast out. That the healing may come in asking the tough questions despite the trauma that may come with it at the hands of others. Staying curious... I believe, is at the heart of who we are as a faith community. And it's one of the things I absolutely love the most about our way of being church together here at Peace. Not only would you not hear Aurelia or Matt or or Kendall or me or anybody that preaches, David, Brittany, stand up and say, we've got all the answers. We won't even tell you which questions to ask. Because we know everybody is on their own journey of faith. Jared mentioned that in in opening up for us this morning. He's on a journey. We're all on our own journey. And so we all bring our own questions. And your questions may not be the same as my questions. People in this room and who may be streaming today and who aren't joining us today but who are part of our faith community are asking questions about the theology that we inherited, questions about parenting, questions about how we live like Jesus in our communities, questions about marriage, questions about monogamy, questions about our complicity in certain economic and social systems that seem impossible to live outside of, questions about this thing we call church, what it ought to look like, I just want to invite you for maybe just 10 seconds to just reflect. What curiosities do you have right now? What question are you wrestling with? I think when Jesus encouraged the disciples to have a childlike faith, what He really meant was that curiosity is inherently welcome and celebrated in the Jesus way. And so my plea with all of us this morning is to stay curious. Stay curious.